Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet. This is Trevor Maxwell saying my name right three times in a row. Man, we're, we're keep, on a streak. We're going to keep counting, keeping track of it. And with me as always is my main man and drinking buddy. <laughs> Mike Riggs. <laughs> hey, and today I'm super excited. I've been wanting to to have this guy on here for a long time now. We had, uh, you know, one of our other favorite sergeant majors, Matt Quick, on sort towards the beginning of the uh, the podcast, and now we got one of my other favorites. Uh, he does. You've probably seen him on LinkedIn if you're transitioning out of the military. He always puts out lots of great videos, lots of sound advice on transition. And he has his own little series uh, that I'm particularly fond of called the Sergeant Major's Coffee, Charlie Wills. So, Charlie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, good good to see you guys today. Uh, I'm Charlie Wells. You know, I retired from the Marine Corps uh, just about a year ago. Actually, I think I, I took my uniform off for the last time on uh, June 5th. So that anniversary is right around the corner. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, we decided to stay here on Oahu. You know, the cost of living on Oahu is extremely high. So the transition had had a very small margin of error because I had to, you know, I had to get a job making substantially more than the average job on Oahu makes just to stay. So, it, you know, it kind of made me, I, I don't think it's possible to be an expert in transition because it changes so often. And really, you know, an expert is some, if, if you listen to Malcolm Gladwell and an expert is somebody that does something for at least 10,000 hours, you know, when you're in the military, you usually only transition once, you know, I guess Matt quick transition twice, but, uh, you know, you usually, usually only transition once. So it's hard to become an expert in transition, but I'll tell you, thanks to guys like Matt and Matt was actually the first guy that I connected with on LinkedIn that really made a difference to me. And, uh, you know, we had a really, uh, I would say a wildly successful transition here on Oahu. And uh, it was all because of guys like him and the folks on LinkedIn, Herb Thompson, of course, I think I might've been one of the first people to buy his book. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's been great for us, man. Life is so much sweeter outside the military than inside. <laughs> people always told me, they said, Hey, you'll miss the Marine Corps. Hey, that was a daggone lie. Listen, <laughs> there's not been, there's not been one single day that I've missed the Marine Corps. Now, I, you know, I enjoyed being a Marine for 26 years and it was fantastic, but listen, when it's time to go, brother, it's time to go. It was closing time. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I don't miss it at all. Yep. I, I can uh, echo that sentiment. I've been out three years now. Herb is another great one too. We had him on, uh, I think five or six episodes ago, but yeah, you know, same thing. It's, there's a lot of anxiety and, and, you know, apprehension about it. Um, you know, I always tell people it's, you know, I equate it to my first jump at free fall school, right? Once you actually get out of the plane, it's, it's not that bad. That's uh, right. It, same thing. You know, I loved what I did, you know, that, that portion of my life when I was single and didn't have kids and I was, you know, home for six months, Iraq for six months, home for six months, Iraq for like doing that for years of my life was awesome. But man, that wore me down after a while. And, uh, you know, I was the same boat. I was like, well, we're not doing the fun stuff anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, I can either get out at 20 or stay in another five or six, but it's going to happen eventually. I just said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do it now. I got four yeah. months left. It's time to go. <laughs> Mike's even, yeah, he's when they say it's, you know it's time to go, it's time to go. Well, let me tell you, it is time to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, absolutely. And so, Charlie, one of the things I liked, you know, because I remember like watching some of your videos and stuff. I remember when you uh transitioned out, you had you were going went stateside to go get some training to go work. What was it like on uh wind power or something like that? Yeah, so we uh my first job outside of the military, and by the way, let me preface this by saying a lot of a lot of people will kind of veteran shame you for job hopping a little bit when you first retire or get out. 
Hey, I encourage it. Listen, you need to find the place where you fit perfectly and that fits what you're looking for. Now, if you can get that on the first job, great. But if you can't, hey, keep looking. It's okay. You know, in, in, the, in the military, we breed loyalty. There's really no such thing as loyalty in the civilian world. It's kind of a, you know, symbiotic relationship at best between you and your, and your employer. So I actually, about two years before I retired, I formed a relationship with a company called Airstreams Renewables. And let me tell you, these folks do amazing things for transition to service members. They're a skill bridge program. And what they do is they train service members on how to, uh, basically how to work on electronic stuff high in the sky. They teach you how to do it safely. So anything from wind towers to telecom towers, it's just a really neat outfit. And, you know, here on Oahu, we don't have a lot of skill bridge programs like that. Um, we had none on the Marine base. So when I first met them, I asked them, I said, hey, how can I get you on the Marine base? So that started about a two-year process of, you know, paperwork and legal reviews and all this. And eventually we got the company on base. And after everything was, you know, said and done, one of the guys from the company reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we'd like you to think about running our site there on Oahu since you plan on staying there. So I agreed to do that. Um, great company. The position was kind of limited because there wasn't a lot of upward mobility or a lot of lateral mobility for me. I mean, they paid great. They had an awesome culture, a bunch of, bunch of uh, retired and former military guys. And, you know, they're helping service members. So who couldn't like that? So I started out in a job that I enjoyed with people that I liked. However, I was in that position about two months and I had simultaneously applied for a direct hire position with the Department of the Navy. And, you know, as most of us may suspect out there, the government has a lot of upward, upward mobility, a lot of, you know, lateral mobility if you want to move around the country. Pays great, benefits are, are good, and uh, it also keep, keeps you around service members. So I was waiting to hear back on that job because I had to get a waiver since I was within six months of my retirement date to work for the Department of Defense. And I was about two months into my employment with Airstreams and the waiver came back approved. And uh, boy, you talk about a hard decision to make. It was extremely difficult. And a mentor of mine asked me a simple question. He said, Charlie, let me ask you. He said, in five years, which company will you and your family be better off at? the Airstream job or the federal government job? And I said, well, that's, I mean, that's easy. It'd be the federal government job. And he said, well, your decision should be an easy one then. So uh, I left Airstreams and uh, I've been, you know, I've been with the Navy for uh, about a year now. I think I'm, I think I'm on nine months or something like that. And man, you talk about a great job. Listen, I work in privatized housing and I look forward to Fridays and Sundays. I look forward to Friday because I get to sleep in for two days. Then I look forward to Sunday because the next day I get to go back to work. And you, you can't you can't beat that kind of situation. So uh, I don't I ramble so long. I don't remember what the original question was. But, you know, it's, it's important to find the job that you love out there. But it's more important to find a job that, you know, kind of fits what you want to do in life. And that's what I got. That's I good. worked up on Capitol Hill in 2019 and man, I was, I was a defense fellow and Lord, did we ever get beat up on housing? <laughs> that, that was a constant. It seemed like at least once a month, uh, my boss was asking specifically my office and, and the guy that I work with about housing and military housing and the privatized housing. And, there would always be something at McDill or uh, it, it was, it was something. And it, that's just a, that's a tough, tough business to, to get in, you know, and I think about it, you know, and what comes to mind is like out here on Fort story, you know, we, we got sailors and soldiers out there who are probably, uh, I think some of them are probably E fives, E fours with families. And that real estate, if you were to sell that real estate, man, I don't think you could touch that real estate because it's right where the Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean converge. And that real estate, if you were to buy one of those lots, I don't think you could get one for less than a half a million dollars for a, a quarter acre right there. And it'd probably go for more than that. That housing is phenomenal 
there's no way those people could ever live there, you know? So it's, it's like, you know, it's like that restaurant review, you know, where, where, and some of the housing, you know, some of the base housing is just in phenomenal areas. Now, some of it is not so much, but some of it is in just the best places you could never live in if you were to ever buy it on a commercial market, you know, and I'm sure it's like that on Hawaii. I haven't been to Hawaii in almost uh, 15 years now, but I know some of the base housing in, in and around the United States and, and some of it I lived in, I've only lived in base housing once and that was in Saganella, but even that housing was brand new and it was, it was awesome. Yep. Yeah. It just gets a bad rap, you know, it does. We've got some prime land here and I'll tell you, you know, we, as a retiree, I can still live on base here and we do. And we were considering, you know, I talked to my wife this week about maybe buying a house here because Real estate only appreciates in Hawaii. And uh, we were talking about buying a house because we may stay here for a few years. And, you know, <clears throat> I've got a great neighborhood on base that I live in. And we don't, you know, we don't have a gate guard or anything. It's just a regular neighborhood out in Oahu, but it's base housing. So I'll tell you, it would, it would cost me about five or $600 more per month to buy a house here uh, of, of about the same size that I'm in. And the neighborhood wouldn't be as good because, you know, out there it's getting so crowded. Crime is actually pretty good on Oahu, despite what people think here. When you look at the national average, uh, especially violent crime is, is just really low. But still yet, you know, our neighborhood on base, man, is just phenomenal. It's like, you know, the neighborhood from Leave it to Beaver. Uh, I know that's, that's an old throwback show right there, but, you know, it's you. absolutely, it's idyllic. Uh -huh. And uh, out in town, while you might have nice views, uh, you know, you might also have to worry about, you know, your car getting broke into all the time. So for us, it's just, you know, it, it's not worth it. So I'll just continue to rent here, you know, from from the privatized housing company that we that we rent rent from. And coincidentally, that I also work with. And uh, we'll just keep doing that until one day we decide to leave. That's a heck of a deal. Yeah, I, well, the, to get back to the original thing too, when you were you were talking about that transition, uh, I thought that was awesome that you were able to just be able to make that decision too, because some people will get into those jobs and stay there. I probably stayed where I was my first job longer than I should have, and you know, it's just one of those like, well, let me see if it'll work out or. You know that that same thing, that kind of loyalty to the to the organization. Um, but you know, kudos to you on like being able to make that decision quickly and and execute because, you know, what do they say? It's like eighty to eighty five percent of people in those, you know, they'll leave that first job within the first two years. And yeah, you know, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just you found out like, hey, this is not what I want to do or where I want to be. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's definitely nice when you get into that spot where you feel comfortable at. And I'll tell you, you know, for me, though, I, I no longer desire to be a Marine. I have always wanted to continue to serve service members and their families. And man, I'll tell you, you know, I could do that at the skill bridge, but I also do that, you know, daily in, you know, in military housing, because, uh, you know, the better, the better the job I do at my job, you know, the higher quality of home that, you know, a, a service member and his his or her family will move into. So it's very rewarding. Uh, it's very process oriented, but I still work with a lot of teams. I work with a lot of teams from, you know, the privatized housing company that we have here. And, uh, you know, it gives you an appreciation for how hard those men and women work because, you know, privatized housing companies, they're vilified in the media, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of people throw, throw them under the bus on social media, but I'll tell you, getting to see how hard they work every day, really changed my perspective. So I'll tell you, you know, some of the, some of the places that we don't do as well as we could in, in military housing, it's not for lack of effort. Sometimes it's just for lack of, you know, uh, I don't know, getting everybody pulling, you know, pulling on the same rope in the same direction. That's, that's kind of the challenge sometimes, but I think we're getting better at it over the last two years. The, uh, I mean, across, you know, government wide, we've come up with a lot, you know, a lot more, processes and, and uh, oversight in place. So it is definitely getting a lot better, it seems, across the board. So uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's a good place to be, and there's an exciting future in it. Nice. Yeah, that, that's, you know, I was talking about earlier about being up on Capitol Hill was the thing, like, McDill and, and their housing, 
and my boss would go, oh, hey, yeah, there's another complaint about mold and base housing. And I'm like, uh, we represent the state of Florida and it's humid as hell and it, it, it's going to happen. It, it's hot. There's mold all over the state of Florida. It's not just in military privatized housing. It yeah. is rampant across the state. Uh, so it's naturally going to creep into that privatized housing. So it's not just in that. So it's not just a military privatized housing problem. It's a, it's a state of Florida and the, the Southeastern United States. But uh, yeah, it, I think it's just that, that bad review or, you know, you see it even in the VA system where, you know, you get one VA hospital that gets the bad rap and ruins it for everybody else where right. like up here, people, they absolutely tell you to avoid the Hampton mm -hmm. VA, but then you go to Florida and everybody swears by the VA. So it's just yep. weird. It's, it's just that restaurant review where that one person had that one crappy meal and now nobody wants to, nobody, everybody's like, Oh, don't eat there. You know, when it's probably <laughs> the food's awesome. You know what I mean? So what, uh, Charlie, what led to your decision to actually make the transition? Well, you know, I had, I guess from about the time I was at maybe 16 or 18 years, I, I looked out and I thought that 24 was a good time to retire because I knew I was going to have a second career after the Marine Corps. So I figured I want to be as young as possible when I start that second career. So I thought 24, when you looked at pay raises and when you looked at how old I'd be at 24, they kind of lined up. So that was the perfect place to jump out. And then I waited too long to transfer my GI bill to my kids I didn't transfer it until I hit the 22 year mark. So I, you know, had to do four more years to transfer it. So that took me to 26 and, you know, it was, uh, it ended up being a blessing because our last duty station, of course, was here on Oahu. I got to be the, uh, the senior enlisted guy on Marine Corps base Hawaii. And I'll tell you, I got to see a lot of new things. I got to deal with a lot of people that I had never dealt with. I mean, we were always hosting some sort of, you know, state or, or uh, national, like, I mean, Senator Hirono was, a, you know, was a big supporter of the Marine base over there. And we saw her fairly regularly. And we saw a lot of, you know, our, our state and local politicians, local community leaders we dealt with, uh, you know, quite a bit. And I chuckle now because I've talked to a few people, you know, for different job opportunities. And one of their questions is always, hey, do you feel comfortable talking to people, you know, briefing people in upper management? And I laugh because I'm so overqualified for that. Like you just, <laughs> you can't even imagine uh, because, you know, I mean, when you're, a, when you're a senior guy in the Marine Corps, you get a lot of opportunities to talk with folks, you know, in various uh, audiences. And uh, I, I always chuckle at that question. But it's very important, and that kind of brings me to something that Matt Quick talks about a lot. It's extremely important that you understand how to sell that value that you can bring, you know, in an interview or on that resume. Because I know how many people I've spoken with in the last, I don't know, I think I started speaking in public in probably about 2004. So over that course of time, I mean, I've spoken with military audiences, I've spoken with, I've been guest speakers at places in California that have nothing to do with the military. So when you ask me if I can speak in public, sometimes I just chuckle and say, yeah, I'll be okay. I didn't sell myself by saying that, you know, I need to tell you to, to qualify and quantify that experience. And sometimes military folks, you know, we low key everything. So we don't do a good job of selling ourselves because, you know, if, if an employer asked me, Hey, Charlie, are you comfortable briefing management? I'd say, yeah, I'm fine. And that's where we sell ourselves short because somebody else will go in there and brag about themselves and their prior, you know, previous experience. Whereas we're just not bred to do that. So that's a tough thing to, you know, to try to navigate. Yeah. We're almost shamed when we do that, especially yeah. on a lot of the teams that we've been on and the training we had to go through. So it's, it's not about you, buddy. It's about us. You know, it's about the, we, and when you start, you, you have to turn that around you have to turn that switch to start talking about, you know, yourself. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do, especially when you've been in the game as long as you have, and I have, and, and Trevor, you know, it's a, it's a very yep. difficult thing. I remember, uh, well, Garrett Harrell, who we had uh, a while back, he's the CEO of um, elite meet now, but you know, I, I met him, I went down to the camp Lejeune cohort of uh, the honor foundation. And that's, you know, all the, the guys from the Raider regiment and um, that, you know, we were there for a night where it was like, Hey, 
you know, you guys are going to have to learn how to talk about yourself and, you know, everybody in the military is like that, but it's, it's, I think uh, some of those guys, it's like, Oh man, I'm not even supposed to tell people what I do for a living, let alone like talk about that. But um, you know, so sometimes it takes people a while to come out of their shells with that. Just kind of like me and Mike, I love going out and talking to people on an individual basis, but you know, if you would have told me three years ago that I, I would have been like running a podcast, I would have been like, you're insane because I hate hearing the sound of my voice played back to me. Uh, so Yeah. It took us a while to stop cringing every time we had to go edit our own, our own show. We're getting used to it, but it's uh, it, it, it takes them to getting used to, <laughs> you know, one of the other things too, uh, you, you hit on that, um, you were talking about the GI bill and uh, something else I like to, to hit on occasionally too is uh, state benefits. And I don't know what, what Hawaii's like, but uh, as far as the VA disability process, um, you know, I always like to, when I talk to clients, like in my other business as a, as a financial advisor, like I work with a lot of guys that are transitioning out of the military and so many guys out there don't understand the importance of doing your VA claim right the first time. Yep. Um, and so could you maybe speak a little bit to that? Oh, absolutely. Hey, listen. Uh, so my, my experience with VA claims, it started out, it started out rough, but it had a happy ending. You know, <laughs> I was filing my VA claim right when, the, when everything shut down for COVID. Ooh. And the guy that worked on my base that helped folks out with VA claims, uh, the um, veteran services organization that he worked for sent an email out to all their offices, and I won't name them, but uh, they, they sent a, a, an email out that said, hey, we're shutting down. And I mean, it was very, I mean, just really, really odd email. And he forwarded it to everybody who he, he currently had a package for on his desk to prepare. And he basically repeated what they had to say. And he said, Hey, I'm shutting down. Uh, I've got to go. Uh, I've got to go home. Good luck. And then he said, and this guy was an older gentleman, um, great guy, phenomenal guy, a Vietnam veteran. But he said, so I don't think he's great with technology necessarily. And he said, Hey, if, uh, if you want to file your VA claim on your own, you can mail it to, and he gave us some address in Wisconsin. And that was it. That was all the email said. And I thought, mail? Who uses mail in 2020? Like, am I an insane person? Like, is this an episode of, of uh, the Andy Griffith show? So I was, I was just, I, I mean, I was flummoxed because I was at my 180-day mark for my EAS. So I could file my VA claim like right then. Well, I was talking to a good friend uh, on base and he said, hey, Charlie, you know, when I was at Camp Lejeune, there was a lady that came, spoke to us and she worked for the VFW. I will gladly shout her organization out because he said, yeah, he said, she's really good. You might want to call her. And I said, man, I don't know. I'm in I'm in Hawaii. I don't know if I should call a lady on the East Coast and bother her or not. He said that I mean, it's worth a try. And sure enough, I called this lady up and I sent her my medical records and listen, we had maybe a 15 minute phone call and she said, Hey, here's what you need to say on your VA claim forms. And here's why, because she looked at all the things I was claiming and she said, Nope, you claim this, you need to say it like this, because if you say it the way you said it, you know, you're, you're selling yourself short. So we went through there and looked at a bunch of things. And then she told me in about five minutes how to file my VA claim electronically. I want you to know, I filed that VA claim electronically, and within about two weeks, I was at my first appointment. And then uh, it did take about 10 months for them to finalize my VA claim, but I got 80% right off the bat like that. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a fantastic, I didn't expect 100%, so 80% for me was was great, and I am pretty jacked up, but, uh, and, you know, I I don't know. Maybe I'm still selling myself short, but I just didn't expect a hundred percent. So I'll tell you, it was uh, actually an easier process than I thought. So the people that complain about the VA to them, I always say, Hey, call them every single week, sometimes two or three times a week because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And I had to do that a few times, 
but they ended up getting me appointments. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's actually not a bad process if you file your VA claim before you EAS. If you wait until after you EAS, you get thrown into the big mass of people out there that, that also waited and it'll be a lot slower for you. So if you're going to file, do so before your EAS hits because they'll expedite your stuff if you do that. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying that because I just did mine. My my 180 day mark was April, right around the beginning of April. And like you said, having a VSO, having an advocate is is absolutely crucial and having a good one. And I, I'm pretty sure you can shop around and find one that's going to be a solid advocate for you. So if you find yep. one that you think it, it frankly sucks, go to another one, go to DAV, go to, go to VFW. There's a lot of other ones out there. So if you find someone that's not responsive, go get another one, call around. Um, I have a very, very good one. And she, she submitted all my stuff. I had my appointments within, within two weeks, they were calling me. Uh, I just finished my last appointment up uh, a week ago, Thursday or Friday. and No, a week ago, Tuesday. Sorry. And they did all mine out in town. All mine were contracted through uh, QTC. And I didn't do any of them at the VA. None of them. None of my, I think I had six appointments or seven. I don't know. I claimed a, a bunch of stuff because uh, you know, I, I had quite a bit of stuff on there too. But six I think six appointments or seven. And I think, you know, it's, it's really critical for folks when they get that paperwork for those appointments, man, you got to fill that paperwork out thoroughly. Don't be a lazy piece of crap and just put down, you know, uh, knee pain. Don't put down. Yeah, it hurts. You need to do the due diligence and research that stuff and look at the CFR 38 that has all that verbiage and stuff and all that stuff in there that talks about the, the, the stuff that those docs are going to look at. And when they do those ratings, get in there and do your research, do your homework and, and do yourself right. And look at that stuff before you go to those appointments. Don't go in there without that piece of paper and don't go in there without doing that research. Cause I think it's really going to pay off for you in the long run when you do your homework up front. Yeah, that's right. And I'll tell you something, you know, that somebody also told me, if you're going to claim something, you know, on your VA claim, if you've never been seen for that while you were on active duty, it's not going to go well for you. So, you know, there are a lot of things that we were always hesitant to talk about on active duty. One of those things was mental health, because despite what people say about there's no stigma, there's no stigma. Yeah, that's not that's not 100 percent true. As a matter of fact, it's not even close to being true. So one of the things that I went for probably in the last six or eight months of being in the military was, um, I don't know, I think it was, I think we called it anxiety, but you know, I talked to a lady about it and uh, I, I have never had PTSD and I've not even been close to that. I've had a lot of friends that have had pretty bad PTSD. So I knew I wasn't where they were at, but uh, I talked to, you know, a, a Navy doctor about six months out and uh, the Navy doc said, uh, yeah, you need to go see somebody. And they sent me, uh, they sent me to talk to somebody else, you know, and, and it was just basically a, a conversation that I had and, uh, my stuff, I guess, from a mental health perspective, I thought was pretty minor, you know, anxiety and crowds, uh, around loud or repetitive noises, things like that. And some things that I think are just natural for, for, you know, dudes to do, like always back in the parking spots and sit facing the door. Cause you know, uh, I don't know if you watch Patrick McNamara, but I'm a big fan of his. And, you know, it's just basic dude stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I started talking to the VA doc, the VA doc told me, she said, uh, and I see, I say VA, but I, I did none of my appointments at the VA either. It was all through, you know, civilian contractors. But she said, yeah, Yo, you have what's called post-traumatic stress anxiety. And I said, what is that? And she said, well, do you ever feel like this? And I said, yeah. She said, do you ever feel like this? Yep. She said, yeah, you also have, uh, I think she said like borderline depression or something. And I chuckled because like, I'm the least depressed guy I know. <laughs> she, she was telling me all these things I had. And I was like, Ugh, man, I didn't think there's anything wrong with me until I talked to you. <laughs> so yeah, you definitely need to be seen for that stuff, you know, before you exit the military, because, you know, mental health is kind of like physical health. 
if your ankle was hurting, wouldn't you go, you know, wouldn't you go to see the doc about it? Sure you would. You know, if you had bruised ribs, would you go to the doc? Sure you would. So if something's wrong with your wheelhouse, why would you not, not go see the shrink? I mean, it only makes sense. So, uh, yeah, there is a stigma in the military, but before you get out, better talk to somebody. I think the big thing with that stuff, too, is like may, maybe you are OK, like when you get out, um, you know, but that doesn't mean that that stuff won't manifest later, because I've talked to tons of of people who got out and they were out for a year or two and they, you know, they ended up really having to go get some more uh, in-depth treatment and stuff for that. Cause they're like, you, you know, all this stuff, you know, maybe I was just caught up and wasn't able to focus on it or, you know, just kept it under the surface for a long time, but they were just like, after a while, this stuff just kind of came up and, you know, I had no idea um, till I went and talked to somebody and, you know, they went and looked at my past and everything and they ended up, you know, having to go back to their VA claim and, and, you know, doing some amendments and stuff to that because they're like, yeah, this, you know, I know now that this stuff that's happening to me, uh, was kind of as a result of the things that I did throughout my career. And, you know, if you ever look at the list of symptoms for PTSD, I mean, like you could literally diagnose 101% of the population of earth with PTSD because <laughs> there's just so many different things that, you know, that's, you know, for me, I, I was getting TBI screening because of all the times I've got my bell rung by explosions and, uh, you know, they, they ended up lumping mine together. They said, well, we think part of it is, you know, TBI, but you've never had a single concussive event. You've had tons of sub-concussive events, but I never had anything where I got knocked out. And at the time, um, I went down to uh, Intrepid Spirit at, at Lejeune, and um, which is a great, you know, that's a great program. I think Mike did that too. And they yep. said, yeah, we just, we don't have the information to diagnose you with, with that. So they kind of lumped it together with PTSD. They said, yeah, all this stuff, like the, the symptoms all fit. Um, but yeah, you don't know. And, you know, I feel fine now, but who knows, maybe like a year or two from now, I won't be. It's it's important to have that stuff in your record, though, uh, like you were saying, because you want to be, be able to make sure that you can get it taken care of when it, when it does come to the surface. Yeah. And we well, do. Oh, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Something else that kind of made me a little bit a little bit uh, sketchy about going for mental health is, you know, now there are so many state legislatures that are trying to take guns from you if you if have ever had any mental health screening in the military and one of my buddies asked me he said uh, charlie would you ever uh would you ever consider moving to a blue state and i said probably not and he said you'd be all right then alabama probably ain't gonna take your guns <laughs> so, so uh yeah you know it's Going back to when you first talked about, you know, state state benefits in different states, um, that is very uh, that is a huge part of when I make a decision on what state to settle in. Huge part of of my choices, and actually, Hawaii is really really friendly to veterans. Um, the state tax is exceptionally high. the The uh, state tax here is eight and a half percent. However, they don't tax any of your disability or any of your retirement. And, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of great benefits, even though the state income tax is very high. It, they have the lowest property tax in the nation, which is a good thing because they have probably the highest property, uh, property values. Yeah. But, you know, I consider a wide range of things, you know, uh, and, and gun control is definitely one of them. You know, what's gun control look like in your state? Are you a constitutional carry state? Are you a right to carry state? I don't, I don't, I've, I've never carried a gun, right? I'm a gun nut, but I, I'm afraid to carry one in public because I'm afraid I'll use it on somebody. So I just don't carry them. <laughs> but uh, you I know, know the feeling. Yeah. A lot of those things come into play when you're deciding, you know, what state to settle down in. And uh, certainly when you're talking about mental health, you have to consider that if you're living in a, in a blue or a purple state like Colorado, you know, certainly Virginia is getting to be that way. Um, you just kind of have to, you know, watch where you're moving and watch where you're at and just know what the laws are. Yeah. I yeah. think that's the thing that really, I guess, pisses me off about the pts the d part of it is like you you send people to war and then you expect them to come back the same way that they did when they left 
And it's like, uh, no, that's not the way it works. You know, anybody that's ever done that, you don't come back the same way. And yeah. most, I think the ones who do are probably sociopaths or they were absolutely nuts before they went. So uh, I don't understand how, and I've talked to some psychologists on my own mental health journeys as well. And I think they're going to start to get rid of that, drop the D off of there. Uh, because, you know, it's the same thing if you, if you're in a car wreck, a really horrific car wreck, are you going to get nervous next time you get in a car or, or anytime thereafter for a long time? Sure. Is that a disorder? Absolutely not. Cause you're in a freaking horrific car accident. It's the same thing. I, I don't know how that's a disorder. I would think the, the fact if you didn't get nervous when you got in the car the next time that, that would be cause for alarm. Cause you got some screw loose. <laughs> yep. And the other thing is I was going to talk about it earlier was, you know, when I went to Intrepid Spirit, we had to do the heart rate variability thing, which tests like if you're always on the fight or flight thing all the time. And I had to take that test and she had me guess on what test or what score I thought I'd get. And I think above a hundred is normal. And I, I guess like 150 or something like that. And I scored like a 67, which was, I was well, I was, I was in fight or flight all the time. Mm-hmm. And this was five years after I'd returned from my last Afghanistan deployment. Yeah. And I said, man, you know, if I, if you just scored me in like 2013, I'd have probably scored like a minus 15 on that, on that test. She's like, well, it starts at like one. And I said, well, that's my point, you know, <laughs> and, you know, when I was, when I was in DC, I remember walking down the street and the, it was, the street was empty because it was on a side street and I'd walk to work most days. And this guy was standing there by himself and he, he drops a backpack right by the bus stop and I'm walking by the bus stop and I'm thinking in my head, cause I've been in an EOD for so long. I'm thinking, well, this guy just dropped an ID or, and he, he walked around the corner and now he's somebody finally figured me out and they're going to kill me now. And that's what's going through my head. Now I either am just going to take my lumps and this is it. Or I just, I start hand entering this bag and, and I'm starting to disarm it. Or, or I, these, all these things are going through my head and I finally just walk by it. Like, all right, this is it. And I'm, and I just kept walking. It didn't, of course, obviously I'm here. It didn't, Maybe, maybe it, it failed to function. Who knows? But, you know, this is the stupid things that go through your head after doing this stuff for so long. But it's just like what you said, you know, it's the mental health aspects of this crap that we got to address and come to grips with as you walk out the gate. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I'll tell you, you know, I had a, I had a very similar experience. <laughs> My wife and I were in a mall one morning before it opened, and this is in California. And I hadn't been back from Afghanistan long, and I saw a young man in there. And he was looking around and he was, I mean, it was the only thing open in the mall was Dick's Sporting Goods, which is why we were there. And this young man was walking really quickly through the mall, like, like speed walking. And he had a backpack absolutely stuffed to the, I mean, he couldn't get one more thing in his backpack and it looked pretty heavy. And he was looking around real nervous. And I told my wife, I said, Hey, I said, we, we need to go. We, we got to go. I said, something, something's going on here. And she said, uh, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're, you know, you need to go see somebody. I, but again, I mean, <laughs> I'll say to the day I die, that's just basic dude stuff. Because <laughs> I'm sorry if you look, hey, if you look suspicious, listen, I'm going to be a hard target. You know, if you, if you kill me, it's because you know you just you caught me listening to the, you know, I don't know, maybe I just listened too much to the shrink and just relaxed too much. <laughs> you're gonna have to. You gonna have to wake up pretty pretty early. Get Charlie Wells with something dumb like a you know like a, a backpack full of stuff. Well, it's funny because uh, you know whenever I'm not walking on hard pack, I'm always looking down at the ground. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but yeah, that's funny that you mentioned it because that was literally my last uh, Iraq deployment. Uh, that was my last call with some guy on a motorcycle. Drove up to an IP checkpoint dropped a backpack right at the bottom and the guys came out of the tower and they opened it up and boom, I had to do a post blast on it. And yeah, I was, I was turning over with the new team leader. His teammate was out there. He was about to puke because he had never seen, you know, the aftermath of something. But that's, that's what I was thinking of when Mike dropped it. I was like, well, you know, we probably act that way because like where we were, that's, that really was what happened. Um, Yes. You just have to, you know, 
and hopefully we don't ever have to deal with that stuff here but on to something a little bit happier something that i know you're very good at and you talk about all the time um is we were talking about being able to go out and speak in public about yourself too the other one learning how to use linkedin yeah i personally like i i you know over the last couple of years especially the last year i've really learned how to use that is you know, I spent my first two years kind of learning how to be like a, you know, here's how you can be a good financial advisor. I've spent the last year, you know, getting into the personal branding and, and, you know, content creation and posting and stuff like that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you on here because you do an awesome job at it. You get tons of engagement with your content and well, really, I just enjoy it. Cause I, I can't, did you grow up in Alabama? Uh, Kentucky. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So right, right next to West Virginia, but, uh, yep. you know, I, I get the, uh, the good old boy wisdom and I'm like, hell yeah. Like I just watch your stuff in the morning. I'm like, that's right. I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I laugh now when I, you know, I've been away from, I've been away from Kentucky longer than I lived there. So, uh, of course my, my accents mellowed out an awful lot. So when I go home now to visit, if I'm out in public and I'm from a very small town, people will ask me they'll say where are you from and i always make something stupid up like southern california right and they believe it 100 percent of the time every time and uh, part of that's just because you know people where i'm from are a little bit slow sometimes but uh part of it is just you know you in the military you pick up different words and different you know colloquialisms and and uh it's not you know not the way it is you know where i'm from in kentucky so uh yeah it's uh i learned a long time ago when you got an accent you can only be a couple of things you can be a preacher you know, you could be a lawyer uh, or you could be an auto mechanic, and that's pretty much it. But uh, the great thing about it is people always underestimate you. You know, when you got an accent, people automatically think you're Forrest Gump and you're, you're simple-minded. So I'll tell you, in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, I, I used to tell people, you know, you could either be strong or you can be fast or you could be smart. You might be two of those things, but you'll never be three. So, uh, you know, I always strive to be fast and smart and uh, – People always underestimated me. So uh, that was good because, you know, I, I went a long way. But uh, <clears throat> LinkedIn, you can also, I'll probably add a fourth occupation to that. You can also be pretty successful on LinkedIn with an accent because people just find it endearing because they think you're plain spoken. And I think deep down inside, people kind of underestimate you on LinkedIn too because they, you know, it's easier to connect with somebody when you think you're smarter than they are. <laughs> so a lot of people reach out to me and connect because they say, Oh, I just love your accent. You're just, a, you know, you're such a nice guy. You know, you're such a good guy. Nobody ever says, man, you're a really smart dude. You're really smart. <laughs> so, hey, I'll take that, you know, I'll take it every day. Well, I do. I mean, I, I appreciate the insight you give to people. And I, you know, whenever I talk to, to people about like, you know, how to get good at that stuff on LinkedIn, I'm like, look, here's, there's three pages I want you to go look at. One is, is Matt quick. The other is yours. And then the third one is, um, what's his name? Uh, Chris Thorpe Thorn. Yeah. Thor yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like always good stuff on there. I'm like, go look at what those guys do and, you know, don't copy what they do, but let's figure out like, how do I do that and, and be genuine and, and yeah. do that myself. Which part of Kentucky are you from? I am from the Southeastern part. I'm from, uh, place called Corbin's where KFC started actually yeah. and uh yeah it's uh it's fairly close to West Virginia we're a lot closer to Tennessee than we are West Virginia but uh yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely up in the mountains listen I was so isolated growing up that I mean I didn't see a black guy until I was 11 years old I didn't meet a Hispanic guy or an Asian guy until I went to boot camp so uh <laughs> it's definitely definitely a little bit different where I'm from yeah no, that's my, we had my, two black kids in in my graduating class in high school in Parkersburg, West Virginia, of 444. That's how culturally diverse we were. Yeah, it's just the <laughs> same way. I think like the census that was in two, 2010, I think that they said the Mid Ohio Valley, where I'm from, was the second least culturally diverse area in the United States, and I completely believe it. Yeah, probably right behind Idaho or northern yeah. Idaho. <laughs> but uh no that's uh yeah my mother-in-law is from around the same part of kentucky uh i wish i could remember the name of the town but irrelevant but uh yeah so 
I, I really like the the stuff that you're doing on LinkedIn, always having great advice about transition or just, you know, life lessons in general. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy doing it and I'll tell you, I've, you know, I've often considered rebranding a bit and moving more toward, you know, housing. And I, I you know, I'm a home inspector and I'm looking at opening up, uh, you know, hanging a shingle here on Oahu and inspecting homes, you know, outside the gate as well. But that's just such a narrow focus that, you know, you'd have a really hard time connecting with folks unless you shared a common interest. And that's just, you have to be careful when you're branding that you don't brand yourself too narrowly. So, I mean, I've, you know, my brand, if I would, you know, if I had to put my finger on it, would be military transition, uh, LinkedIn tips, and a little bit of leadership, just basic leadership stuff. And uh, I, did a, I did a poll about a year and a half ago. The poll was, you know, basically, why do you look at my feed? Why do you follow me? And it was leadership, uh, military transition. And I think the other two options were like throwaways. Like, I like your accent, and I think you're a swell guy or something crazy, you know, something silly like that. And surprisingly, the vast majority of people that looked at my feed, they weren't in it for military transition. They were in it for the leadership stuff that I posted. So um, I was a little surprised by that. And that caused a shift in my content, you know, production. But I've since gone more toward the military transition side again. And uh, because I tell you, I still, you know, people don't reach out to me a lot for leadership stuff, but I will have people reach out to me pretty regularly for military transition. And I mean, here on Oahu, it is pretty common for guys to say, hey, can we get a cup of coffee? And uh, I've got a couple of favorite coffee spots around here. So we'll just go get a cup of coffee and talk. And uh, I never have an agenda or a time limit. So as long as they want to talk, that's kind of what I do with them. And I mean, I, I don't know. Either either it goes really well and they don't need me anymore. Or it goes terribly and they never call me again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get to do that a lot with folks. So it's always good. Well, it's yeah, I, I I get a kick out of it. That's it's one of the I always stop and watch all your your videos. I <laughs> there's a lot of people where I just watch the first ten seconds of it, and, but uh, always. Well, I think it. like one of the things with LinkedIn that I struggled with was you know you know once you take the uniform off, it's like who am I, you know, and, and that was the other things like you know, what do I have in common with these folks out there? You know, and the easy thing is to find folks who served in the military, but the hard thing is to reach out to folks who never served or don't even have that on their LinkedIn, you know, and that's the, like I did the honor foundation and they forced you to do that through the, the cups of coffee thing. But that was really insightful to get out there and just learn, learning what's out there, you know, because you see the fortune 500 ticker, well, there's a hell of a lot more out there than just fortune 500, you know, yeah. and, and there's so many other niche industries, even in this local area of Norfolk that, that we live in, you know, that I, that are still left undiscovered that I still need to get out and look out, look about, you know, and those jobs within those organizations that, that are, I'm sure would be pretty cool to, you know, find out what they do, you know, but it, I think it's, it, it takes like a certain, I don't know for lack of a better term, but courage, a different type of courage to turn around and, you know, be a little, be a little, uh, mentally naked, you know, and go out there and go, Hey, uh, this is me. And, uh, I really want to find out what you do and find out, you know, what, what the, what it is that this company does. And, you know, but it's, uh, it's a little scary. It takes a, you know, it's a little anxiety, but, uh, LinkedIn is the definite way to do it. And, uh, but you know, and your, your, your page is awesome, you know, and I, and I absolutely love this, the search major coffee. I love that. It's a, it's an <laughs> awesome thing. And, but in LinkedIn is such a powerful, powerful tool for transition military to utilize on that journey. A absolutely. You know, I, I feel the same way about a, a lot of the pages that I look at, you know, I follow a couple of guys, you know, Jonathan Palmer's one of them. Alex B. Sheridan's another that just, man, they give out so many great LinkedIn tips. They've taught me so much about what I know now about LinkedIn. You know, I follow Pat McNamara because, you know, he's actually taught me a lot about LinkedIn as well. Because if you look at how basic his videos are, I mean, there's no production value. It's literally him holding the phone, right? But the guy's maxed out his connections. He's got, I think he's probably closing in on 100,000 followers. Because his 
his message and his theme is concise, but it's always consistent and it's brilliant because it's entertaining. So, uh, you know, here is this 50. I, he said at one time in his video, I think I think Pat's 55. You know, the dude's built like a 30 year old and he's a physical freak. And the guy's just a good dude. And you just want to watch him, man, that I've never seen anybody brand quite as well as he has. So what that taught me about LinkedIn is, hey, you don't need to be you don't need to be Alex B. Sheridan or Jonathan Palmer and make these really fancy videos. You don't need to do that. All you need is who you are and just tell your story on there. And if you tell your story, everybody's story is interesting. I mean, I've met some of the most boring people I've ever known in the, you know, in the military. And still, I'm fascinated to find out why they're so dang boring. And then when they start telling you the story, sometimes they have the most interesting stories. So, uh, yeah, just tell your story on LinkedIn, you know, and you can do it just like this. You don't need a studio. It doesn't need to be professional. If you have a story and a message, man, people want to hear it. So, yeah, I met the guy who does the YouTube channel, uh, Jameson's Travels. Have you seen him? He's on, <laughs> he, he's from uh, up in my hometown. I was up there for a buddy's wedding and he had reviewed the Navy OD uh, video and I was going to type a couple things because I was the CMC at EOD school before I came back to Virginia. And, uh, and I look on his business contact and I was like, wait a second, man, you're, you're from Marietta, Ohio. So I emailed him. I was like, Hey buddy, I'll be up in Marietta, Ohio for a, for a buddy's wedding. Why don't we get together for a coffee or a beer? And he's like, yeah, let me know the place and the time. And so I, I was like, Hey, let's meet for Saturday morning at nine and grab a coffee. He's like, all right, I'll be there. And, uh, I expected to maybe meet him for an hour tops, four hours later of he and I shooting the shit. I was like, Hey buddy, I got to go. Cause I got to get back to Vienna, West Virginia <laughs> to my cousin's house, put my suit and tie on and get my ass back here to the stern wheeler so I can get on there for my buddy's wedding. So we had to, we had to actually cut it short. We just sat there all day and shot the shit and drank coffee. That dude is yep. an awesome guy. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the, like we talked about too, or like, Hey dude, let's not even worry about making it perfect or whatever. Let's just get out there and do that. Cause I, you know, for me, that was an apprehension I had. I was like, well, you know, I don't want this to look like complete ass. And, you know, eventually I got to the point where I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll start doing it. I mean, nobody expects a beginner to, you know, be perfect anyways. Like I'll, I'll do it. I'll start learning and make it better as I go along. And uh, I, I'm glad that I did because it got me out of my shell with that, with some of the stuff we did. And and you were talking about Alex, like I actually signed up for his course and, uh, you know, I sit there on some of the group things he does. Awesome. You know, very good. I think that's really helped me a lot, too. I need to have him come on here and, and talk about that with people. Yeah, he's he's dynamic, too. And he's such a creative guy that when you see how his mind works and how many you know, he, he comes up with raps and he comes up with the LinkedIn comedian and he has the LinkedIn magician. And when you when you see how many layers his videos have to him, it's like, man, how does this guy come up with this stuff? So uh, I am I could never be that guy because I'm not creative. Uh, I'm a, you know, a blunt brute force in, instrument. So, uh, you know, hey, not everybody's like him. As a matter of fact, few people are like him. Few people are that creative. Uh, no matter how uh, how much unleashing you do to your creative, you, you're probably not going to be like that guy. But uh, I'll tell you, you can just turn on a camera and talk. You know, I recently, I connected with a guy about three months ago. His name is Jim Chukajian, and he's out of Philadelphia, and he's a fire safety guy. And he's got, I mean, brand, brand new to LinkedIn, it looks like, doesn't have a lot of connections. Well, he started talking with me about doing video, so he finally made his first video and I started laughing as soon as I started watching the video because this guy has absolutely a perfect voice and tempo and cadence. I mean, this guy could do commercials. And listen, the, the video was about something like, I think the title of it was like go to grow or something like that. But he was talking about if you want to grow, you know, go out there and just, you know, go out there and do things for people in your organization and, you know, reach out to mentor people. It was a short video, but I'll tell you, his voice, <laughs> I laughed because I, I was like, Jim, why did it take you this long to make a video? You're, dude, you could be in commercials. Like, this guy's like going to be the next State Farm guy, right? He's going to be the next Jake from State Farm. Guy has a perfect voice, and he was terrified to make a video. 
And, uh, you know, you know, I'd understand if you got like a big knot on your head or, you know, maybe, I don't know, you, you got something going on that makes you look funny, but man, this guy was just absolutely amazing. So yeah, a lot of times, you know, fear is irrational. And most of the people I talk to that are afraid of video, it's, it's really irrational because when you see their first video, it, you know, it always turns out to be pretty good. Yeah, we did a, ours was the, I think the one that we used to announce this, what we're doing now is, was terrible. We even, <laughs> I still watch it sometimes and laugh and I'm like, oh my God, that was awful. But uh, yeah, we've got nowhere to go but up. So yeah, we should have kept the, the takes that we did when we actually wrote a script and tried to do it, kept the yeah. bloopers because those were absolutely terrible. Well, we we had- decided <laughs> to finally just do an outline because we're like, God, we are terrible actors. We just need to do an outline and just talk to it because we suck. Hello, just do this. are you are you getting out of the military? <laughs> Listen to these two idiots because we're about to do a podcast. Us too. It is hard, <laughs> but fear not. We are here to. Yeah, actually, if you would have done the bloopers, we had to bleep the whole thing out. Um, <laughs> Because yes. I know we keep it clean on here, but anybody that knows me knows, like, I'm the guy that they're like, don't show your family my text messages or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, anyways, so, yeah, I know uh, we're getting close on time. I don't want to take up your whole uh, Memorial Day weekend. And I know uh, Mike and I want to get out there and start celebrating. But um, we appreciate you coming on here because I've been wanting to have you come on for a while. Like, you're one of the my favorite personalities on LinkedIn but uh, what, any advice that you got for people that are about to make the transition? Yeah, I would say start as early as you can. You know, uh, transition starts at least two years out, but some, some would say even four or five years out with your last set of, set of orders. Uh, start as early as you can. Uh, get as many resources and mentors under your belt as you can right off the bat. And I'll tell you, the number one thing that you do for tra- transition is, is network. So LinkedIn is probably the most valuable tool for that. But uh, I'll tell you, you can't short sell the face-to-face stuff either because that's equally important. And a lot of older folks and a lot of folks who are in, you know, federal service, they don't do LinkedIn. So sometimes the only way you can get them is face-to-face. And, you know, you still got to do do it Andy Griffith style, you know, if people aren't, you know, in the digital world. So uh, definitely network, 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 because there's never, never enough that you can do before you transition. Definitely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's, uh, you know, networking for me, that's, that's opened up tons of opportunities and, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head getting, you know, multiple mentors, uh, also super important because, you know, one person is going to have their own perspective and I think it's important to get out and gather as many of those as possible. So Charlie, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, I'll tell you, if you know, if you DM me on LinkedIn, uh, I set up a lot of phone calls uh, with people off LinkedIn. Uh, most of those phone calls usually go, you know, two or three, two or three different, you know, phone calls in succession with a lot of people because you usually can't get it all in one phone call. So a lot of folks reach out to me pretty regularly. I have no problem with people contacting me on my personal cell. Uh, I used to have it uh, listed on my LinkedIn uh, header, like uh, I think maybe Matt does, Matt Quick. But uh, I stopped doing that. Rich Cardona does it. That's who does it. I don't do that anymore. But uh, I'll tell you, if you just DM me, I will absolutely shoot you my, you know, my cell number, and we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Uh, I'm not interested in Bitcoin, nor am I interested in uh, uh, becoming a financial planner uh, or an insurance salesman. Though I would be fantastic at those, but uh, just not interested. But if you want to talk about anything from leadership to federal, you know, federal service to military transition. Hey, you name it, man. Uh, we'll, we'll, hey, we'll talk about what kind of year the 49ers are going to have this year. I'm a sports nut, transition nut, uh, red-blooded American. So if you want to talk, man, reach out. Awesome. Well, keep up the, the Sergeant Major coffee, man, because every time I see the Keurig come up and, and, the, and the Sergeant Major <laughs> mug go in, it's like, oh, here it comes. Here, here, comes, <laughs> here comes the wisdom. So I look forward to every episode, man. I, I, so keep them coming. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming on. And I hope you have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend. It means a lot to all of us. Uh, you know, it's a, I usually get up on Monday morning, usually get the tears out before the kids get up. And then, and then it's a, a good solid week or a good solid day after that. So yeah, I hope you have a great, uh, great weekend. Have a great Memorial Day and thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me today. 
All right, Charlie. Hey, again, yeah, appreciate it a whole bunch. Uh, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, end this podcast with your sign off if you want to. <laughs> hey, Semper Fidelis, talk to you around the band. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.